0: Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure.
1: Life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. So, you know, if it it goes wrong, (laughs) move forwards. You can't get everything right all of the time.
0: Today I'm talking to Melanie Brownridge, who is the Technology and Innovation Director at the Nuclear Decommissioning Authority. Melanie lives in West Cumbria with her husband Martin and two teenage girls. In her spare time, she likes to walk in the glorious countryside of the Lake District and play her cello, piano and double bass on her own and in orchestras. And she enjoys dancing as well. So welcome, Melanie. And thanks so much for joining me. Andrew, it's a great pleasure to be here today. So I'm going to start with this music because I just love this little window into people's lives that we don't normally see at work. So it sounds like you're really musical.
1: Yeah, I really love all sorts of music. And I was very fortunate that uh, when I grew up, there was a piano in our house. And when I was old enough to be able to see up to where the keys were, I can remember asking my mum, you know, what's this? How does this work? And her sitting me down and showing me. And that's really where my love of music came from. Um, I wanted to play the piano. And when I went to Mm. school and they offered uh, school music lessons, I said, you know, what would you like to play? And it was the time of uh, James Galway and the Golden Flute. And I wanted to play the flute desperately. And they said, oh, your your hands are really small and your fingers are really short. And, you know, sorry, it's it's not for you. So I said, well, what else is there? Um, And they said, oh, well, there's this, this and this and there's the cello, but nobody really wants to do that. So I said, fine, I'll do that one. I'll have a go at that. And so from that I became a cellist and then just grew into having a go at the double bass as well. So music's been a really key part of my life ever since.
0: Oh, it's fantastic it's a great way of relaxing, isn't it? And getting your mind into a different place out of work, I find.
1: Absolutely. I think it works for me in two ways, either relaxing, as you say, but also in energizing too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's great. Is there a piece of music or that that you always go back to when you when you're playing?
1: I think there's probably two for me i really struggle to narrow it down to one um one of those is elgar's cello Concerto, played by jacqueline dupre it really gives me shivers down my spine every time i hear it um and the other one is dancing queen by abba it's been a song that's been a bit of a, a thing throughout my life at key moments and i just think it's great every time it comes on I get up and
0: dance oh it's such a feel-good song that isn't it <laughs> <laughs> So let's go back to, to you at school. You were, you were born in Chester and then when you were just one, uh, you moved uh, with your parents down to, to High Wycombe in Buckinghamshire. And I'm just thinking of you at the high school there. I'm wondering what your friends would say about you. What How would, do you think they would have described you at that time?
1: I think they would say I was fun, uh, I was caring and I was always willing to have a go at something and I was very supportive. So there were lots of prizes at the school when, when you left the school. And I actually won the prize for unobtrusive service. Um, so I wasn't the head girl, but the, the staff there at the school felt that they wanted to to recognise the role that I'd played in the school, um, without in effect looking for the glory, if you like, of, of a post or a key, a key post at the school. So I think they would say I was fun, caring, supportive, um, and, and willing to do what I could to, to help the school.
0: Oh, that's lovely. In fact, I was looking at the school website earlier and I saw it had these four core values, which I really liked of infectious joy, limitless ambition, insatiable curiosity and a generous spirit. And it sounds like that sort of generous spirit was what you were exhibiting at that time. Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think it was a, a really formative part of my life. It opened my eyes to all sorts of opportunities and we were really encouraged to to have a go and do what we wanted to do and the support was there for us to do that if we could um, make those choices and be able to say this is what I want to try so I had a really great time at school I enjoyed it a lot.
0: Oh that's lovely that's lovely and and as you were progressing through school you must have been thinking so what's next so were you always had had in your mind university and and what was your thought process around that or do you thought now I'm going to leave and I want to get a job and get some money?
1: Yeah, I I don't think I've ever had a game plan or a career plan in that sense, so uh, I can remember really clearly I'm old enough to have done O-levels, so when I was doing my O-levels, I found maths quite hard um, and I was pretty good at languages and geography and I was good at music as well, so I can remember thinking I think I'll do languages, uh, economics and geography for A-levels and I'll go to university. And then I was so, so excited by the results I managed to achieve in sciences and maths that I changed my mind on the first day of sixth form and said, actually, do you know what? These are the subjects I really enjoy. I didn't think I was good enough at them, but actually I am. So I really want to do maths, chemistry and biology. And I took it from there. Um, I didn't know what I wanted to do afterwards. So one of the bits of advice I'd had from a teacher was, you know, do something you enjoy because you'll probably be good at that. Um, And I enjoyed chemistry and I was good at it. So I decided to do a chemistry degree because that just offered me more choices, I think, later on. And I didn't want to narrow down
0: my options too early. Yeah. Yeah. So you found yourself at Imperial College in London. That must have been a different environment from you, for you from uh, High Wycombe.
1: Yeah, very different. Um, I was also fortunate that because High Wycombe is quite close to London um, and my parents had moved down to High Wycombe initially for a two year window, I think they brought with them that spirit of, well, let's cram in as much as we can whilst we're here. And so pretty much every Saturday afternoon, it used to be that the parking meters in London were free after 12 o'clock on a Saturday. So we would nearly always every Saturday afternoon jump in the car about quarter past 11, 45 minute drive to the centre of London, park up near the mall at a parking meter and just go and do something in London. So actually it was quite a familiar environment to me. Um, So I felt quite comfortable there, even though I'd never lived in in London before. But I think, again, it was the choices it offered me to be both a student and part of the the university life, but also to be a resident of London and take advantage of all the things that are on offer there as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I was lucky enough to grow up in London, excuse me. And um, I, I think when you live in a place... Often you don't take advantage of everything that is on your doorstep and in a funny way sort of way I couldn't wait to get away, you know, to university, which is why I ended up in, in Manchester. How did you cope with the sort of being on your own and having to think about meals and washing and sorting yourself out and being organised yourself? Did you find that transition was easy for you?
1: yeah I found that fine um I'm I'm an only child and I think there's maybe one of the the usual preconceptions is that you know only children are spoiled but actually they're generally quite independent and and self-sufficient because they've had to be um so you've had you've had to make friends you've had to go to things on your own you haven't had that sort of backup of a sibling I suppose a, a lot of the time so actually that that part of it was was fine for me and I think just knowing my way around the city as well knowing what there was to do um made it a much easier transition for me and I think it was more just exciting all the different things to try uh, all the things that I could um you know get tickets to in the theatre as a student I think London's a great place to be a student actually because there's so many different offers there um, and as you say I was kind of couldn't wait to get out once I'd finished because then it became really expensive <laughs> so <laughs> as a student it was a great place to be and yeah I, I was fine with uh with, with being on my own I made some really great friends that I'm still still in touch with today
0: and it sounds as if you were sort of trying to make the most of everything and then this opportunity came for this erasmus placement in germany in hanover tell us about that little opportunity and how that came about
1: yeah that's right yeah i can remember it really clearly in one of the lecture theatres at at the the university at the end of the second year where they said uh, there's a new course being offered called the erasmus scheme where you'd get to go and do a year in in europe Um, It would be fully funded, Uh, you'd get a grant as part of the Erasmus Scheme. If if you're interested, come and see us after the lecture. Um, And I couldn't get to the front of the lecture theatre fast enough, I just thought, this sounds great. And one of the reasons I'd chosen Imperial was because um, you could do an ancillary subject with chemistry in languages. And actually, that was something I I really enjoyed. So I'd, I'd kept German going as my ancillary subject, as part of my degree anyway. And they were offering placements in Germany, and I thought, well, this is just kind of meant to be, really. Um, and as a scheme, it was fantastic. You you went to to be a research student in a PhD research group. So you get to have, a, have an idea of what that would be like in the future if that was something you wanted to do. Um you had to go to lectures in German to improve your German and take exams as the other students would as part of their degree. Uh, and you had to do a kind of social history project as well. So something about the the country that you were were living in as well. And it then became part of your degree. So it then became extended to, to a four-year degree. And yeah, it was it was challenging. Um it was really exciting. Again, lots of life experiences along the way. Um, but but overall it was a really great experience. And I'm glad i glad I took the opportunity.
0: Yeah. So so what do you think you sort of learned about yourself during that um during that time?
1: And I think it reinforced for me that I'm I'm capable of more than I might think I am. Um so I definitely have a couple of mottos that carry around with me. One is, you know, give it a go. Let's see what you can achieve. Um, let's try, uh, you know, rather than what's the worst that can happen. It's, you know, what's the best that can come out of this. Um, and I think I probably learned from myself that it, it is worth having a go at things and you don't get those chances back. Uh, so if something like that comes your way and you think I'd like to try that, go for it, just go for
0: it. Yeah. It's great advice that, isn't it? And presumably, um, the opportunity to work as part of a research group in in hanover uh did that give you the research bug which was why you stayed on to do a phd then at imperial
1: it did in part yes i think i realized how um challenging it could be and rewarding at the same time and it definitely sparked um a, a different interest in me to to work in an area in more detail so yes for sure Um, but I think the other reason I chose to do a PhD was actually more around the people so I had an opportunity to work with somebody at the university who really inspired me and so putting those two together meant that it was it was just a natural thing to to carry on and do that and I also applied for lots of jobs after my degree and found that uh, it was almost an artificial ceiling so if you had a degree in chemistry then so many opportunities were open to you if you had a PhD that possibly opened different doors and I think for me i didn't like the idea of being limited by what i could achieve before i'd even started my career so there were kind of three reasons as to, to why i decided to stay in the end oh,
0: so tell us a little bit about this role model and and uh, this person that you really wanted to work with what was it about them
1: um they were great fun and they were themselves uh, they had lots of quirks and lots of characteristics uh, and they weren't afraid to be themselves and they were really successful. Um, they told stories of, of their time and what had inspired them. And I've always liked listening to people and their motivations and, and their stories as well. And I think it just really stirred something in me that said, you know, I'd like to be part of his story as well as him being part of my story.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. And the, these these people, I mean, it is it is their technical excellence, but it's, it's sort of, you know, what they know but it's also about who they are mm. and, as you said, being themselves at, at work, you know, in, in the university there. Absolutely,
1: that's something I really took from, from working with them is, you know, be, be yourself, absolutely be yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. So now you're coming to the end of your PhD, you are um, writing your thesis and you've, you've, you've got, got your PhD now and you're thinking about, what am I going to do next? So you told me about you applied for a job, but you didn't tell your dad. Tell us that story.
1: Yes. Well, as I said earlier, I didn't really have a game plan um, for what I would do next. So I applied for all sorts of things. I applied to be a merchant banker in Singapore uh, for Deutsche Bank. Um, I applied to uh, work in the oil and gas industry in pharmaceuticals. I to be a patent lawyer. I looked at all sorts of different things. And one day when I was sat in the uh, careers library at the university, looking at the different um, schemes that were on offer. I noticed one for British Nuclear Fuels. Um, And I thought, well, you know, what they were looking for were chemists who were interested in a challenge, doing something that had an important mission. Um, And I thought, yeah, I'm I'm interested in that. I'll I'll apply for that scheme as well. They were offering a scheme called the the Research Associate Scheme. So it was aimed at people who wanted to pursue a career in in STEM subjects, but uh, also would benefit from the kind of typical graduate courses that you you might get when you join a graduate scheme. So so I did apply for for that. And when I went to the assessment centre, what was really obvious to me for the people there was that the people who already worked in the organisation were really committed to what they did um and that really inspired me as well and and they were fun as well in the interview it was it was fun and often interviews aren't fun <laughs> it can be really quite awful experiences um and when they made me an offer for the job uh, i thought uh, you know this is the one for me i think this organization is going to fit with what what i want to do i think we're going to work together well um i've met some good people and it's something i can get behind and uh, feel i'm doing something important and as you say, I did go back and then say to my mum and dad, you know, oh, I've I've got my first job. Um, I said, brilliant, where is it? I said, oh, it's for British Nuclear Fuels up at Sellafield. Uh, and my dad pretty much fell off his chair because my dad had already spent nearly 30 years in the nuclear industry himself. <laughs> so I hadn't particularly told him I was doing that before because I, I've always wanted to do something I've wanted to do and they've always encouraged me to do what I wanted to do. So I didn't want it to ever be that I'd done something that either he had wanted me to do or anything like that. So were uh, it was very much my own choice. Um, I guess I had a bit of insider knowledge in terms of knowing how exciting and interesting could be, but very different different part of the sector. So, so, yeah, it was a real surprise to them, but they, they were hugely proud. <laughs>
0: That's lovely. So what was it like um, walking on site on your first day, your first day in your first job? Yeah, I think I was quite awestruck, actually, um, because you,
1: you have your interview off the site um, for, for obvious reasons. So that first day when you go onto the site there's all the different rituals to to get used to so getting changed to going into the site going into the the active area meeting the people you're going to work with finding out more about the job um i think i was quite awestruck and and really um impressed by the people i met and the type of work that i would be doing um, but again even on those first few days i could see the opportunities in front of me and that you know if there were things i thought i could do and i could do well and I thought those opportunities were going to be there for me. And that's, that's certainly been the case throughout my career. So if, if I could find something where there was a win-win that would work for me and would work for the business, it's always worked out well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just thinking about the people perhaps starting their first job or maybe moving for the first time into a new job. Looking back on your experience then, were there any sort of pointers that you think helped you to settle quickly into the role that might be useful for them?
1: I think it's have an open mind soak it all up um don't be surprised if it feels like there's an awful lot to learn um i'm still learning so you know i I think if you if you think you're not learning then you're probably in the wrong job so there's always something to learn so you're just at that point of a journey where you're learning something new um take comfort and inspiration from people around you you know they most people will want to help you know I really do believe that people are there to help and if you if they can be asked to help then they'll, they'll do everything they can to help um and you know I've always been one for looking for well what next so never feel constrained that what you're doing today is what you'll always have to do um so there may well be something that you see and if it doesn't work out that first time, um, there's nothing wrong in saying, oh, well, I would, I would have been interested in that. That's something I maybe would like to do in the future. Because if you do tell somebody that, then they might have a chance to help you do that at a later date. And if that opportunity comes around again, they'll think, oh, well, that was something Melanie mentioned a while ago. I wonder whether she'd like to, to get involved in that. So I would say soak it up, enjoy it, ask for help, and, and don't be afraid to to look for what you might want to
0: try next. No, mm. oh, that's, that's great advice. So, you, so you went into BNFL on this sort of research associate type scheme, which I guess was was focused on technical uh, a technical sort of role. But then you sort of moved, and there's always this sort of de- it's almost like a decision point. It feels to me for technical people that whether they're going to maintain their you know a technical career path or whether they're going to move into uh, managing commercial you know other other things. And you you sort of took the route into management. Tell us about that sort of first opportunity that came up and 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 what you were thinking about, how you, you sort of approached that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I think there were two pivotal moments for me. So as part of the scheme, you had to organise your own secondment. Um, so I looked for an opportunity to go and work at um, what was BNFL Engineering in those days, based down in Salford Keys, in their commercial department, uh, working on business development for the German market because I had the, the German language skills to help support that. Um, and that showed me that there was a whole load of other things that, that I didn't know about and, and gave me some insight into the commercial side of things. And, and I really enjoyed that. But I think the other pivotal moment for me was I was given an opportunity really quite early on in my career to step into the role of a team leader. Um, and I would say I, I learned hard and fast. So I learned a lot in a very short time. Um, I wasn't successful in every way, um, but it, it it probably went back to something that I've always wanted to do, which is to help encourage and inspire others to be their best self, and I think that was probably the, the dilemma I had. Um, but technical has always been something key to me, so I've never moved away from technical. Um, I might not be doing the actual work myself, but it's something I'm really passionate about, the role that, that technology can play in, in helping us deliver our mission and, and the wider wider good as well.
0: Yeah, and we'll come on to talk about how your your role is really influencing that, you know, in, in, in the nuclear uh, sector uh, later. Um, so you moved into managing the program for waste characterization of legacy ponds and silos. Um, what were some of the sort of big challenges you had to face into in that role when when things are hard, and how did you sort of work your way through those?
1: Yeah, at that time, um, I mean, legacy ponds and silos, and understanding the legacy that we we have on some of our sites, really wasn't the top priority. It really was a time when reprocessing operations at the Southernfield site was was the priority so this was a real shift to start to to better understand some of those challenges and what we might have to do differently for the future so i think i was fortunate to be involved at that point of change but i think some of the things that made it hard were it felt a little bit like pushing a a rock up a hill it was uh, you were trying to convince people to do something that maybe they weren't necessarily convinced was the right thing to do at that point in time um and i think our approach was very much to listen To understand um, to share to engage then to listen again um, and to just be really quite structured and calm and always take a step forwards so it might not be the step we thought we were going to take forwards in the first case (laughs) but always be looking to take one step forwards each time and and i think from that you know we saw the the fundamental shift in in the industry through the creation of, of the nda as well which said that actually decommissioning and, and looking after the legacy that we already have is, is something that is of national importance. So I feel quite privileged to have been at the start of that um, and just played a little part in, in trying to convince people that this was something really important we had to do and that, that yeah. science and underpinning knowledge could really help us with that.
0: Absolutely, and that set the foundation for for a lot of the programmes that, that are happening now. And mm. as you said, at, at the time, it was sort of in, in that phase where BNFL was starting to get broken up and um, you became part of Nexia Solutions as head of technology services there. And then you moved actually into the uh, the NDA. Um, was that was there a particular reason why you wanted to move into the, the NDA? What was the driver for that? Was it another opportunity that you thought, I'm going to stretch myself or what was it?
1: Yeah, there was definitely that. Um, it sounded like something I thought I could really want to play a part in um, but I think for me you know my personal and career development as well it offered me the chance to be involved, involved on a broader scale so I've always looked to be involved in things that are a little bit broader than, than the job itself whether that was at university by having a year in Europe or by um, joining a, a company that had an international perspective as well and I think by moving to the NDA I hope that I would get that broader view of all of the different decommissioning sites in the UK and it would, it would stretch me beyond the, the knowledge I had of the Sellafield site.
0: Yes. And I suppose the other thing about within the NDA, you are, I guess, sort of a little bit removed from the the actual plant and the site um, because Sellerfield Limited are sort of looking after that or Magnox are, are looking after that at other sites around the country and so on. Um, did you miss that more sort of close contact with, I'll call it the coalface, which is completely the wrong word, but you know what I mean, the sort of real hands-on and, and seeing the facilities? Did, was that a problem or did you find that that wider experience and that perhaps longer term perspective was helpful and, and you found that a natural transition?
1: Yeah, I think I've, I found it a natural transition because um, I've always found myself drawn to the bigger picture. So how does this make sense in a bigger picture? How does this matter? Um, what could we do with this topic or this this particular issue as well as what do we have to do with it? So I think I was drawn to the bigger picture as well um i did miss some of the aspects of being near the coalface, face but actually that's something i've tried really hard to do throughout my time at nda is keep those contacts really live at the sites that i already had and also build um, build more as well and i think technology helps you do that actually it's a topic that brings like-minded people together Um, so whilst i might not be doing the work myself um, i still play a part in the collective success of the work being done on the site by being part of the nda and also we we have the opportunity to work with broader stakeholders in government and beyond on behalf of the sites as well so i think you know as well as representing what i do we're representing the work of of everybody on the sites as well
0: yes yes that's a great position to be in and to have that ability to have wider influence i guess and wider stakeholders and to engage them on the technology and and science agenda is so important because that helps us you know, do what we're there to do in terms of managing the nuclear legacy, doesn't it? It's not a straightforward program. No, absolutely in, not. Know. That's what
1: makes it challenging, and that's what makes it rewarding.
0: Mm. Now, one of the areas I know you've worked on is is on knowledge management. Uh, I just want to touch on this a little bit because, um, you know, the nuclear industry, I guess, is what 60, 70 years old, and has gone through you know a lot of transition, a lot of pioneering research, and you know a lot of. Managing that legacy now, there's new build, there's all sorts of things around nuclear for net zero, as, as, as well as, you know, um, the, the, um, looking after the environment and so on. And of course, knowledge is key to that. So tell us about what you were doing in, the, in, in knowledge management and the contribution you think you were able to make to that.
1: I think knowledge management is, is something that's almost part of everybody's every day, no matter what job they do, because you're part of creating some new knowledge every day, as well as trying to preserve and share what, what knowledge is out there. Um, but I think some of the most powerful examples I've seen are probably exit interviews from people as they get towards the end of their careers, where it really gives them an opportunity to share all the things that they probably think they have written down, but actually all the other stuff that's in their, in their heads and all the other experiences that are really invaluable.
0: Yes, yes, and I, and I really like this idea of um, uh, sort of succession and thinking and almost planning for who are the people who could do what I'm doing now, and what can I do mm. to help them on their journey? Because there will be new opportunities, you know, for mm. you and for me, and and it's almost like uh, working yourself out of a job in a funny sort of way, you yeah, know.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I think something that I've always tried to do is make sure that uh, around me and around uh, the people I work with is quite a diverse team. So, you know, NDA is a small organisation, but actually our, our wider team is, is quite large in the t community. And from, from an early time, we've looked to bring people into our area on Comment. Um, and we always say, you know, they're, they're part of the TNI family because wherever they go next, uh, they're part of our network now, and that's part of our, our active knowledge management policy as well, but it also brings that diversity of thinking. So, you know, you're bringing people in with very different perspectives, um, they always have something to contribute and something to share as well, and and from that it keeps our thinking a bit fresh as well.
0: Yes, yes, and in um you know technology and innovation director that you are now, as you said, it is about new knowledge, and it's in the innovation. It's also about doing things differently, which doesn't always come naturally to the nuclear industry because there's lots of rules and processes and procedures and safety and security cases and regulation and all the rest of it. How do you think we can um, pioneer new and better ways of doing things in in that sort of environment with that sort of culture?
1: It is a challenge, um, but I think a lot of it is based on the culture. So if we have an environment where innovation can thrive, uh, we'll probably be able to achieve a lot. And a lot of the factors around our historical environment have maybe been set up to to perhaps stifle innovation but there are different levers you can pull these days and i think we have great support from our regulators uh, to drive innovation and we have a hugely talented workforce and a wider supply chain that, that have great ideas and um, are, are able to think of how we can do things differently and i think that's our collective role is to try and create that environment where those ideas can come forwards some of them can be supported um, we accept that they won't all work uh, I think that's a big change for us in the nuclear industry is to have that courage to try things. Um, and the ones that do succeed, uh, we shout about them and, and celebrate them and say, this is great. We've been able to achieve that. And so our role is very much. I, mean, I think I've got the best job in the world. I think it's fantastic. And our role is really to, to encourage that environment for everyone else to thrive and succeed, whether that's creating new knowledge or using existing knowledge in a different way. Um, so you can tell I'm getting more excited and now I'm talking about it now because it is something I'm really passionate about. So I think it's, I wouldn't like to put a percentage on it, but it's probably kind of four parts technology or two parts technology and eight parts culture. I think it's what will make a, a really good
0: recipe for innovation to thrive. It's interesting. I was talking to um, Professor Barry Lennox the other day, who's a Royal Academy of Engineering Chair um, in Robotics and um, and has got a centre now in West Cumbria linking into to the nuclear industry. And the technology that he's developing and, and proving, you know, all sorts of different robots, all sorts of different sensors in the most challenging environments with artificial intelligence and machine learning and all the rest of it. It's real cutting edge stuff, isn't it? it
1: absolutely is. It's it's awesome. And I think one of the things I learned quite early on is, you know, I'm, I'm quite comfortable not being a specialist in, in everything um and and being that kind of broader generalist because you work with the specialists and that's 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 my role is to kind of coordinate and integrate um and bring that collective picture together but some of the technology is is absolutely awesome but i think the other thing is you know when you talk with people on in the businesses across the the nda group innovation is not new you know one of the reasons we have our industry is because of innovation you know people tried new things at a time when it was difficult to try new things as well so It is something that's in the blood of the industry. It's maybe just been a little bit constrained for a while, but some of the the cutting edge technology is fantastic.
0: It is. And it's exciting to think about the future. Mm. Um, So I think just looking back, I'm just wondering what one piece of advice you think you'd like to give your younger self to set her off on her journey. Maybe, maybe sat there in Imperial or maybe in in Hanover, you know, listening to a German (laughs) lecture or answering questions in German um what advice would you give your younger self do you think
1: i think there's a couple of things so i think courage is infectious so so have courage Um, and positivity is infectious as well have a go um and there's something i put in my phd thesis which is life can only be understood backwards but must be lived forwards so you know if it if it goes wrong (laughs) move forwards you can't get everything right all of the time I'm quite comfortable not being great at everything and and give it a go you'll find things that you really excel at and if you enjoy them those will be the things that you'll, you'll carry on to do and be yourself i think the best compliment somebody ever gave me was that they really respected the fact that uh, i had a senior role and i was myself i hadn't tried to change myself to be somebody else so i would say be courageous and be yourself
0: oh what fantastic advice melanie thanks so much for your time this morning it's been great to chat thanks very much andrew i've really enjoyed it form of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.